You're listening to At Any Rate, JP Morgan's global research podcast, where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends and themes in fixed income, currencies, and commodities markets today. I'm Alex Rover from the U.S. Fixed Income Strategy Team at JP Morgan Securities. And joining me today are Srini Ramaswamy and Epek Ozil. Srini is a managing director and head of uh, U.S. Interest Rate Derivative Strategy, and Epek is an executive director working with Srini. Our title for this podcast, Broken Windows, is a reference to the Treasury futures market, and in particular, the WN futures contract, which is also known as the ultra 30-ish year bond future, and one of the contracts that struggled of late with weak liquidity, particularly at roll time. We recently discussed a number of themes in one of our notes, the U.S. bond futures rollover outlook, and our comments today are based largely off of that publication. So, Srini, let's get you in, in here now and talk about um, the Treasury futures role, which is normally a pretty boring and almost operational aspect of managing fixed income portfolios. But lately, it seems like there's been greater volatility and, and a lot more to talk about. That's right. Um, you know, it's exactly like you said, you know, the role is supposed to be something that, you know, nobody really pays attention to. It's just, you know, an aspect of what one has to do in the markets. But that's not how it's been um, in the last, you know, at least, you know, call it a couple of couple of quarters, and especially in the long bond, in in the ultra long bond. The thing to keep in mind with Treasury futures is it's an instrument that expires, right? It's, um, it, you know, like if you own a thirty-year long bond, you know, you just like put it away and forget about it. In thirty years, you know, you know, it it, it it's out there for thirty years. Um, but if you want exposure to the thirty-year uh, sector, and you do that with futures. Well, you have to roll it every three months. The contract expires, uh, in the case of Treasury futures, um, every three months, and you have to sort of unwind uh, one and ex- you know enter into the sort of the next quarterly contract. Otherwise, your exposure just dies. Um, the you know people call it you know if you if you're long the futures contract, you have to sell the 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 front month as we call it, and then buy the back month, and that's called selling the calendar spread. Usually, it's just something that happens and people don't pay attention to it. But like like we spoke, um, it's been anything but usual lately. So, Srini, why are investors so focused on on the value of the calendar spread? Yeah. So the the way to think about it is every calendar spread has uh, a fair price, uh, and if you roll your position, you know you sort of exit the you know, in the current environment, you would exit the June contract and you would go into the SEP contract. And if you do it at something close to the calendar spread's fair price, then you aren't introducing new slippage into into your portfolio. Um, And if you instead, if you're unable to do it at a fair price and you're forced to roll your, your, your contracts at a disadvantageous price, well, that's just, you know, slippage or drag in your portfolio's returns. And ultimately all of that slippage is paid for by by the end investors. That's an interesting point, and maybe this is a good time to bring EPEC into the conversation. And EPEC, before we dig into the role a little more, you know, what are the factors that really sort of drive the calendar spreads uh, in general? Sure, Alex. Um, so one important factor is forward financing rates, which have been on the rise recently thanks to the Fed hikes. As a general rule of thumb, each 10 basis point rise in forward three month repo rates can cause calendar spreads to narrow by about one tick, which is 130 seconds of a point. And indeed, this has been in play all year. But this is all normal to the futures market and fixed income investing. And this is not the kind of volatility that we are talking about today. 
With the calendar spreads, there are also several other factors in play, such as different cheapest deliver bonds in the contracts, which we, which we refer to as CTDs, yield levels, curve, and also notably the positioning of investors, which we refer to as the technicals. What this means is treasury futures are settled by physical delivery of a bond, and many commercial investors will use futures to add duration to their portfolio but they will prefer to avoid any risk of delivery. What this means is to play it safe, they must roll their positions ahead of the first notice day, after which delivery becomes possible. On the other hand, other investors, such as hedge funds who may traffic in the bases, they may be willing and they may want to go into delivery. So therefore, like investors are net long or net short there may be a technical pressure to sell or buy the calendar spread in the week approaching the first notice day. So are all the contracts equally vulnerable uh, or are some of the treasury futures contracts more impacted than others? I mean, I guess what kind of moves are we talking about? Well, so the factors that we just talked about, so the financing rates, yield and curve levels and technicals, they all exist in every contract. But the technical imbalance that I mentioned is exacerbated in WN, which is the theme of our discussion today, because of the so-called wildcard option. So with the wildcard option, if you are short the contract, you have a compelling incentive to go into the delivery month. Because if the rates move sufficiently post the future's close time, then you may get a chance to exercise this option and get a payoff. And this creates a circumstance where longs, so commercial longs, will definitely want to roll their positions ahead of the first notice day to avoid delivery, and the shorts will definitely want to hold. In addition to all this, we're also at a time where market liquidity has been exceptionally poor since earlier in the year. And the effect of these technical imbalances can be exacerbated even further in poor market liquidity conditions and that makes the WN contract actually more vulnerable than the other contracts. And we've seen this all in play in the past two role cycles. So these trifecta factors, so the technicals, poor liquidity, and the wildcard option have all combined to cause the WN calendar spread to move by almost 25 ticks in the previous quarter. And this quarter, what we've seen is actually much worse the spread swung downward by 20 ticks and then suddenly wider in a day or two by 25 ticks in the past two weeks. This sort of volatility that we've seen is unprecedented in the treasury and the treasury futures markets. So let's bring Srini back into this. I guess, you know, with, with the, you know, the complications between, you know, liquidity, the wild card options, the other technicals, you know, what should investors be doing to make the best of a complicated situation? Uh, yes, uh, there's uh, probably at least three things that investors should be looking at. Uh, the first and perhaps easiest is just roll earlier in the in the in the in the month before delivery month. Uh, now, admittedly, you know the reason a lot of investors will wait and roll just before first notice day is because that's when the liquidity in the roll you know sort of magically appears. Um, and but but liquidity is a chicken and egg phenomenon. Um, you know, I think you know to the extent that investors sort of work with their brokers and and look to roll, you know, in dribs and drabs earlier in in the month. I think uh, you know it can help 
uh, feed on itself and create the liquidity and, and spread the rollout over a wider period of time. And, and, and if you spread the rollout over a wider period of time, that sort of automatically sort of lessens the impact of technical pressures, which are really sort of a dominant theme uh, here. So that's one. Uh, and the other thing investors can look at is look 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 at you know proxies you know uh, look at the classic bond contract for instance um, for many investors they aren't necessarily uh, forced to use the ultra long bond contract which you know because of the wildcard option and you know because of something uh, factors unique to it. Uh, is more impacted by all of these considerations. Uh, but the classic bond contract, for instance, uh, just just to pick one example, is um, is not as vulnerable, right? So uh, it's a much more sort of established contract with a wider base of you know sort of um, investors on both sides in 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 that sector, and uh, is uh, has been less impacted by all of these technicals. So I think to the extent that um, you know the uh, investors are able to use the classic bond contract. You know, I suspect the slippage in using the classic bond contract instead of the ultra long bond contract is probably less than uh, the slippage involved in actually rolling positions in the ultra long bond contract at these at these sort of volatile calendar spread levels. Uh, and then the third is, you know, examine other alternatives such as, you know, like do you really need to be in a in a in a in a futures based exposure in that sector? Can you own, um, you know, something else like actually owning cash bonds? Or if that's not an option, um, you know, total return swaps on cash bonds or, or even just interest rate uh, swaps. Uh, there's other ways to get duration exposure in that sector of the curve. And I think they're all worth considering given the illiquid, you know, behavior of the ultra long bond contract. So given all that, is is it the case that the folks who are are in the WN contract uh, essentially have run out of? Are they there of their own choice, or have they run out of other options? Um, I think it's uh, this extent of volatility is somewhat new. It's 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 the last couple of quarters, and I think if it persists, you know, people will slowly gravitate to other alternatives to the extent that it makes sense. Uh, I think people have used it because it's uh, it's a convenient way to get exposure to the long end of the curve. Um, and uh, it's just it's just not been as bad as this in previous quarters. So I think the uh, the more this happens, the more people are looking at alternatives. Um, you know, the more we are certainly getting questions about alternatives. Uh, so I think I think it's a little bit of uh, you know th this this is uh, this is something investors are watching. And if it uh, stays bad, then I think investors will actively pursue alternatives. So to what degree do we think this is a function of, you know, the backdrop for what's happening with monetary policy, you know, rising rates, um, just, you know, we generally have poor liquidity across a lot of different parts of, of the market. Is, is it part of that or is it, is it, you know, is it more? Yes, um, those are the undercurrents, I think, that are broadly true for markets overall and certainly true, you know, here as well. Um, I think the WN uh, is, is worsened, right? So it's worsened by the fact that, the uh, long story short, the you know the conversion factors, as they call it, on the CTDs are low, and that leads to a pretty significant wildcard option, and it creates this really significant imbalance between longs who will want to roll early, and shorts who really have a compelling incentive to stay in the contract. So that that dynamic is what sort of worsens it for the you know for the W1 uh, WN sector. But everything you said is true more broadly. I think I think what's happening with the macro uncertainty. 
coupled with some, um, in, in large part, I think the macro uncertainty, which is starting to stabilize, um, you know, um, has certainly contributed to a degradation in liquidity overall. I think that's a good place to stop for today, but it seems like we'll be revisiting this topic again. Thanks to EPEC and Srini for their insights. Also, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. And please stay tuned for more episodes of, at any rate, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2022, J.P. Morgan, Chase and Company. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on June 1st, 2022.